As we, uh, as we start this morning, um, you may or may not know that today is um, National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And so we're going to take, uh, take this Sunday to talk about the sacredness of human life. And before I do a quick reading, and I'm going to invite actually four people who are going to, in our body, who are going to pray here in just a moment. I'll invite them up in just a second. But before we do that, um, I just feel led to, to want to say a couple things, because depending on who you are and your background and you might be here for the first time. Um, I want this to land in a particular way that doesn't bring condemnation, that does bring sobriety, but not condemnation, and that, that reminds you and confronts you with like the magnitude of the grace of God. Um, statistically, it's likely that multiple people in this room have been directly or indirectly involved in abortion. And that's sobering. Uh, the statistics related to abortion are sobering. And one of the things that happens when we gather together on Sunday morning, whether it's around this topic or otherwise, is we are rightly reminded that our, our, our sin and our brokenness and our rebellion are way deeper than we ever thought. But at the same time, the wonder of the Christian message is that the grace of God is wilder than we ever could have imagined. And so, in this morning, if you feel a lot of your story confronted by maybe decisions of your past, maybe even your involvement in abortion, I want to, I want to remind you and I want to commend to you that the grace of God is greater than you ever imagined. But it's right for us to stop and to think about, when we talk about a human life, what is it that we're talking about? Why is, if it is sacred, then why is it sacred? And that's what we're going to spend our time talking about this morning. And I want to read for you. It's a proclamation from the president in 1984, January 13th, 1984, which was the commencement of this particular day, Sanctity of Human Life Day. I'm going to read this in its entirety because much of it is very relevant to what I'm going to preach in just a minute. It says, the values and freedoms we cherish as Americans rest on our fundamental commitment to the sanctity of human life. The first of the unalienable rights affirmed by our Declaration of Independence is the right to life itself. A right the Declaration states has been endowed by our Creator on all human beings, whether young or old, weak or strong, healthy or handicapped. Since 1973, which was the day the Roe versus Wade decision was handed down. Since 1973, however, more than 15 million unborn children have died in legalized abortions, a tragedy of stunning dimensions that stands in sad contrast to our belief that each life is sacred. These children, over tenfold the number of Americans lost in all our nation's wars, will never laugh, they'll never sing, they'll never experience the joy of human love nor will they strive to heal the sick or feed the poor or make peace among nations. Abortion has denied them the first and most basic of human rights, and we are infinitely poorer for their loss. And we are poorer not simply for lives not led and for contributions not made, but also for the erosion of our sense of the worth and dignity of every individual. To diminish the value of one category of human life is to diminish us all. 
Slavery, which treated blacks as something less than human, to be bought and sold if convenient, cheapened human life and mocked our dedication to the freedom and equality of all men and women. Can we say that abortion, which treats the unborn as something less than human, to be destroyed if convenient, will be less corrosive to the values we hold dear? We have been given the precious gift of human life, made more precious still by our births and our pilgrimages to a land of freedom. It is fitting then on the anniversary of the Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade that struck down state anti-abortion laws that we reflect anew on these blessings and on our corresponding responsibility to guard with care the lives and freedoms of even the weakest of our fellow human beings. So I, Ronald Reagan, President of the United States of America, do hereby proclaim Sunday, January 22nd, 1984, as National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And I call upon the citizens of this blessed land to gather on that day in homes and places of worship to give thanks for the gift of life and to reaffirm our commitment to the dignity of every human being and the sanctity of each human life. I invite the four of you that I asked to pray for us this morning, if y'all want to come up and join me this morning. And I'll invite you as a church family just to bow your heads with us. And we're going to take some extended time to pray and give them some freedom to just pray as the Lord leads. And, and again, want to commend you to the degree you're maybe challenged and confronted by your own decisions of your past that you remember the magnitude of the grace of God. Let's pray together. Father God, um, thank you for our life, the fact that we get to be here and be alive and in your house today. And um, I ask that you would bless this church with mercy and compassion for your children, um, for the fatherless and the orphans. Father, I ask that you would help us know how to pray for them and how to serve them well, whether that's monetarily or opening our homes or however you may have us serve them. I pray that we would be united in the front of loving those that don't have parents that can care for them. I thank you that I did and that a lot of us did. Um, and I thank you ultimately that you are our father and you care for us when we may not have that on earth. Father, we're thankful for the leadership here at Crossway that they are passionate about this topic of caring for the unborn. Father, thank you for Lifeline Pregnancy Center and uh, Deborah and her crew. Father, keep them safe from those that would detract from her message, from their message. Keep their equipment safe. Thank you for providing the ultrasound and the facility. Father, you've given to us technology to care for the infants in the womb, and yet evil men have taken that equipment and turned it into instruments of destruction 
and that 15 million is now turned into over 60 million. Father, this is nothing new. Your covenant people even turned to the pagan ways of killing babies. And now men are following in that way. Father, forgive us as a nation and guide us, Father. Turn us from our wicked ways. Thank you that you are an advocate for the unborn, guardian, ad litem, and we will see these babies in heaven someday. Thank you for that scripture. Father, you tell us you formed me, my inward parts, and knitted them together in my mother's womb. Thank you that David <clears throat> had that assurance. And we pray in Jesus' name, Father. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus and by his blood, please forgive our nation for the terrible sin of legalized abortion. Nothing is worse than the shedding of innocent blood. It is written, Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So we ask you to bind the enemy's stronghold on our legal system. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, and we ask that you would make the powers behind abortion powerless. Deliver us from this evil, Lord God, in Jesus' name. We repent of our nation's legislative and legal support for abortion, we praise you for the Supreme Court's turnover of Roe versus Wade, and we ask you to guide each state to stand for life. And may the people of our nation support and value life at every stage of development and age. May your people speak out and stand up for life as you lead them. Protect the vulnerable. May pregnant women and fathers choose life, no matter what it may look like. Protect pro-life groups, pregnancy centers, and post-abortive healing groups. May those who need healing find love, mercy, and forgiveness in you. Father God, you fashion each and every one of us with great care and intention, knitting us together in our mother's womb. You create each one of us uniquely in your image. We are created with a purpose and a destiny to live out for you and in you. Thank you that your children are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are for us and not against us, always. We rejoice in you, Father, and in your precious gift of life. In Jesus' holy name. Um, Lord, in the beginning, you said, let us make make men in our image and so all of us walking around here walk around with the stamp with the stamp of the divine in us and so we just uh, want to ask you for healing for those who are hurting from um, from abortion and not only that, but uh, from being discriminated against. Um, for those who are not privileged, 
for those who are in tough positions, those who have been thrown away by society, Lord. Um, as we've said already, um, the psalmist says that you form our inward parts, that you know us intimately, that you gave us our complexion, our height, our eye color, our skin color. Not only that, but um, Revelation 5 talks about how in heaven um, there's going to be people from every nation, tribe, tongue, every ethnicity represented in heaven, Lord. And so I pray that you help us to live that out here in this world as your church. Help us not to wait until we get to heaven, but help us to be a beacon of hope in acceptance and love for all peoples and all, all nations and help us to do that well Lord and convict us where we need to be convicted thank you for giving us a church full of little people full of life and promise and hopes and vision and we pray that as we go about our day, um, after we get out of here, Lord, that we would be meditating on the fact that all of us walking around carry the imprint of the one true God, of the God who made heaven and earth, of the God who gave his only son to rescue us from all our evils, Lord. So um, thank you, Lord Jesus, for um, choosing to die on the cross for us. Thank you for seeing the joy that was set before you on the other side of the cross and for despising its shame and for nailing my certificate of debt To the cross. And I thank you for my family and for all the little ones here, Lord. Please help us to be good parents, good grandparents, good spouses, good friends. Help us to love each other well, Lord, and help us to follow your example, Father. We thank you, and we pray these things in the matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen. 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 Thank you for so much. Thanks, Brad. You know, as, we, uh, as we transition, you know, one of the things that one thing I've shared recently, I don't even remember what message it was particularly, but as we think about our lives as believers in this world, you know, one of the things that's very difficult to do is to, is to hold convictions really deeply and courageously while still maintaining compassion for the world around us. But it's something we have to continually strive to do is not water down our convictions that we, we speak unashamedly against death for life, and we seek to preserve and cultivate life with a, a sense of courageous conviction, but all the while praying that God would give us hearts of compassion, right? Because that was the heart of Jesus as he looked out on the world and saw them going astray, that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved with 
compassion. So my, my prayer for us as a church body, for us as believers, is that we be people of conviction as well as compassion. And I've got a shorter amount of time this morning by design to preach this message. I've never preached on this before, and I was all over the place this week. And so we'll, we'll kind of see what is helpful as we go into this. Um, as we think about this particular topic, Sanctity Human Life Day, it's, this isn't just an issue of abortion. It's probably the most obvious in front of us because it's, quite honestly, it's, it's everywhere. You know, we don't have to look back very far. Just 10 days ago, um, when the U.S. House of Representatives passed the Born Alive Act, that there were 210 Democratic senators who voted against the bill, only one for it and one abstained. And the, the messaging after that vote was this bill is extreme. A bill that basically says if a baby survives an attempted abortion, they should be given medical care. That's essentially what the bill is. And that bill and that form was deemed too extreme by one particular side of the aisle mainly. And I'm not here to give a political message, but it's notable. But the point being is that like we moved to a place culturally where we don't have to look very hard to see how extreme the devaluing of human life is. As we think about our own hearts, like in this world that's deceived and given to evil things, and we, we know just the presence of evil in our own hearts, you know, it's good to be confronted with a verse like Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It says this, it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Over the last few weeks, as we've looked at Psalm 119, thinking about God's Word, and one of the, the verses in Psalm 119 says that the unfolding of your words gives me light. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we deny the Word of God, that it produces darkness. That's exactly what we see taking shape. We sow onto the flesh, it brings about increasing corruption and darkness. So theologically, we shouldn't be surprised. However, we should still be appalled at the degree to which life is devalued. Human life is being devalued and destroyed in our world, but abortion isn't the only way human life is devalued. Sex trafficking, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, racism and segregation, euthanasia, each of these finds its root in the devaluing of human life. Every single one of those I just listed and more. The English word sanctity comes from a Latin word meaning holiness or sacredness. The same word is where we get our word saint, which is to be holy and set apart. So the picture is this, is that human life is sacred. A human life is holy and set apart. Human life is special. And that's what this particular day is set aside to recognize. Above all other forms of creation, human beings are uniquely special because human beings are made in the image of God, the likeness of God himself. So human life is sacred because we reflect God's image. And so Sergio, as he was praying, referred to God. Genesis chapter 1, and that's the primary place I'll preach from this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through the beginning of verse 28. 
in the creation account in chapter 1 of Genesis, which the creation of man is elaborated on in Genesis chapter 2. But in chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, it says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, our, the plural meaning the, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. So it's interesting as you read through the first chapter of Genesis is that God's sentiment about everything he made in the first five and a half days of creation is, it's good. It's good, but it's only at the creation of man where God's description of everything that he created goes from good to very good. Like it's very good. There's a unique level of good that is displayed through and present in the creation of human life, human beings. When every other living thing is made, it's made according to its kind. If you read that chapter, you'll know. You can read it later. You see some eight times that statement is used. Vegetation created after its kind. Trees after their kind. Birds and livestock and creeping things after their kind. But when God makes man, the language changes. And man isn't made according to his kind He's made in the likeness and the image of God himself. Human life is sacred. Human life is special. Human life is holy because God is holy. Human life is sacred because God himself is sacred and supreme. Man alone is made in the image of God. This what we call the imago Day in Latin. And what ways is man made in the image of God? We could do a whole series on this in our nature and makeup, particularly in being made with an eternal spirit. Like we have an eternal soul that will remain for eternity. In our capacity to love, in our volition, or our will, and our intelligence and ability to reason, and our relational capacity, man is made as a representative figure of God. I don't know about you, but it seems to be this, this current thing in culture I find myself saying is that like we, we like to add the word super to a lot of things. Like, how was that movie? Oh, it's super great. It's like super excellent. Or like, how thankful were you? I was super thankful. Anybody else do that? It was just me? I hear a lot of people doing it, so it's okay to chuckle about it. But we use, we use those two words. We use super to kind of accentuate the second word, right? But there's a way in which in Genesis 1, there's two words used, image and likeness, that express the same idea, but together they amplify themselves to mean the image of greatest likeness. Super like God. Man is the image of greatest likeness to God. Human life is special and sacred. Man is a representative uniquely similar to God than any other Creature In Psalm 39, verses 5 and 6, the same word used in Genesis 1.26 for image is translated shadow. So you can think of it in this way if it's a helpful picture. There's a way in which human beings are like a shadow of a greater substance, namely God himself. 
a reflection of something or someone greater reflecting the very substance of God. And it's interesting to consider that shadows don't exist without light. They're created by the light and the life that comes from God himself. And devaluing any human life suppresses the light of life placed there by God himself. We suppress the image of God because we have suppressed God himself. And this is what we see in this is the human problem. You see it in Romans chapter 1, maybe more clear than any other place in the scriptures as far as the nature of the human heart rejecting God and going our own way, worshiping and serving the creation or the creature rather than the creator, exchanging truth for lies. And so we suppress the value of life because we suppress God himself. By our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth, Romans 1.18. Our thinking becomes futile. Our hearts become darkened. We call foolishness wisdom. We don't acknowledge God. And so the picture is he gives us up to our foolishness. And things become worse. Not only do we practice unrighteousness, but we promote it. And one of the outworkings of this is people begin to determine some lives as not worth living. It's an interesting article that comes out of a secular space, the United Nations. On September 14, 2021, the United Nations Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities published observations on France's compliance with the 2006 Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So the issue at hand is the the rights of persons with disabilities. And the particular thing they were looking at and making observations about was the way in which in France there was license being given freely for people to abort children based on disabilities in the womb. Down syndrome, spina bifida, even autism as a reason to abort a child. I had a conversation with somebody close to me, and it's one of the, like one of the most stark moments in conversation with someone that I love. We were talking about this particular issue, and, and I asked her, we were trying to, we were having some dialogue about abortion, and it was a worldview conversation, and, and I asked her, I said, do you think, it's, you think it's right to abort a child because they have Down syndrome? And she, she said yes, which is logically consistent with her worldview. But then you talk, to a, you talk to a family of a child who has Down syndrome. You experience the smile from that child and the unique love that they bring into a family. There's something even in what is certainly a difficult road in many ways has a treasure of worth and value to a human life. Present in that child even in the midst of impairment and, and disability, is the image of God. And I think we could theologically, biblically, accurately say that disabilities are a product of the fall. We live in a broken world where human beings, even in their physical frame, don't always develop the way that they should. But we'll get to the good news at the end because this is a short little while here. This little thing we call life is just a momentary light thing. There will be a moment where there will be no more disabilities. And there will be a celebration with all these babies that have been murdered and their lives taken from them because they will be in the presence of God and we will be with them, free from impairment, 
free from disability, free from sin. In this moment now, we have to recognize that there's no such thing as lives not worth living. One UN representative denounced the ideology that there are lives not worth living, which echoes the title of a famous book that founded Nazi eugenics policies. Because the moment you say that someone has the determining power to say which lives are worth living, then you open yourself up to eugenics, the dismissal and destruction of human life based on ethnicity or some other category of their being. Well, let me just say it this way. Hear me when I say this. The value of human life is not based on your productivity or someone else's perception of what a good life looks like. Human worth doesn't rise and fall with the number of impairments we do or don't have. That our worth as human beings is calculated by the infinite value of the one whose image we are made in. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe. That's why we fight for life. That's why we preach for life. That's why we do whatever we can as individuals to promote and cultivate and protect life. Because life finds its worth in the image of God, not based on its seeming level of productivity in this world, how difficult that particular life may be, but the fact that they're made in the image of the one true God with inherent worth and value. <clears throat> and even someone with legitimate disabilities and impairments has inestimable value. The image and the power of God are uniquely displayed in their lives. The vulnerable and those with disabilities, their lives are sacred. The orphan and the fatherless, their lives are sacred. The isolated and the elderly, their lives are sacred, holy, special. Why? Because God made them period, in his image, in his likeness, for his glory. Each life is a life created by God and for God, made by his hand to reflect his image. Colossians 1.16, another place we see this, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So our impulse to help someone in poverty is an impulse, I would say, that's from God. This person has value and worth. When we see someone captive to crisis and we want to see them flourish, that impulse is because they have value and worth in the sight of God. They should have value and worth in our sight as a result, right? When you as a Student, when you seek to comfort someone in your life that's despondent, talking about suicide, and you move toward them to try to encourage them and communicate love to them, that impulse is born out of the fact that they are an image bearer of God. Their life is valuable. It's not to just be trifled with and thrown away. We want them to live and flourish and be known and be loved, right? It's because they matter to God, and they should matter to us. I'm going to close with these couple of thoughts. The first thing I want to say and speak to is just God's power to change, restore, and heal. I want to circle back to what I said at the beginning. If you're in this room this morning, and you feel like it's just almost inescapable for you, that all you can think about is your own failings and poor decisions. 
possibly even an abortion that you had. I want you to know, and I believe with all my heart, that God brought you here this morning, that you might know that there's hope in him, that there's healing found in him and in no place else. You can never live enough days to try to counteract your your bad with your good. If you could do that, Jesus would never have had to come and live a perfect life you could never live, to die as your substitute, to take your debt, and raise from the grave to promise you life eternal. Trust in him. Run to him. Throw yourself upon Christ. He offers you compassion and restoration and healing. And I want to put up a picture here. Just I can put up that picture. This is Dr. Noreen Johnson and Haywood Robinson. Uh, Dr. Robinson is on staff with 40 Days for Life, and they're a picture of God's ability to change, restore, and heal. I'd encourage you, if you want more information, uh, videos to encourage you to even transform your perspective, live action is a really good place for that. They have a lot of really impactful stories. I can't go into all of them now, but I had a chance to watch most of this video. It's about an hour and a half long. Uh, These two doctors, their story, if I could just sum it up, is they both are physicians. And they both for years, they've practiced medicine for 40 years. And for a lot of that season, they worked in in abortion locations. They practice abortions readily. Dr. Johnson, when she was asked, how many abortions she felt like she had done over the years. She said, thousand. She recounted how many per day she could do as she moonlighted away from the hospital in in an abortion mill. And she could just make extra money. But here's what happened to these two. God radically saved them through the gospel. They came to know Jesus. And so she captures the story And he captures the story in this kind of way. It's like, how could someone go from performing abortions for a living, come to know God, after coming to know Jesus, they're not only set free from the guilt of their past, but here's the story for these two. Actually, there's a a Planned Parenthood that went belly up because of their ministry. And they occupy as doctors that very same building. And so God takes these two who did abortions for a living. He radically saves them. And you hear them talk about life now. You hear them talk about babies. And it's very clear that they see that child in a way that they didn't before. They talk about being desensitized and medical terminology. That the baby instead is a lump of cells. And you see this movement of God in their hearts to see babies who are preborn, and to see them used in a way now to preserve and to sustain life is only a work that God can do. This is what God does to human lives. Can I get a witness in here? This is what he does to human lives. He did it in my life. He can do it in yours. He did it in theirs. He's still doing it today. He'll do it tomorrow. He'll do it until he returns, until everything is renewed and restored. That's what he does. He he grabs death and he turns it into life. And he grabs people in darkness and he brings them into light. Because he's gracious and powerful. And he loves it because he's worthy of the praise when he does. 
And let me just say this to close. Maybe it sounds a little elementary, but we were created to live. We were created to live. Anytime you go to a funeral, be reminded of that. You were created to live. At a funeral, one of the, the best things we can do is lean into the feeling that it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Because theologically, that's actually true. We weren't created to die. Death is the culminating work of sin. We were created to live. At the heart of the gospel message is the offer of life. Unearned, unshakable, everlasting life. Because of Jesus Christ, life can be our final destination. The Bible says that in Christ, death is swallowed up by life. Defeat is swallowed up by his victory. For Christians, our names are written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And in the end, here's the words that we see and we will one day hear in person. Revelation 21, 3 through 6, and I'll close with this. I'm looking at the end of all time. The new heavens and new earth. John says this, says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Let me just repeat that. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things, which include death, have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the, the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life, without payment. One day there will be life. Only life. And during our days here, I pray that we would consider every life precious. And I pray that we would pray more and more for the opportunity to preserve and to preach and to cultivate life where we can. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, your word tells us um, very clearly that we have we have not made ourselves. Uh, you are the one who has made us. You are God and we are not. So we thank you for giving us life and breath and all good things. And we echo the words of scripture when we say that all of it is from you and through you and ultimately to you because you deserve the glory. Thank you for infusing into us as we look at our physical frame and the uniqueness of who we are as human beings. That as was prayed earlier, that there is a, there's a stamp upon our lives that bears the mark of the God of the universe. That our lives are special and sacred because you, God, are special and sacred and supreme. And every human being we come into contact with bears those same marks. And because of sin, it's maybe marred and distorted, but the value and the worth is still present. 
So I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd help us in this world where the devaluing of human life is so common to be those who hold to courageous conviction while remaining deeply compassionate to those that we encounter. I pray that the love of Jesus for other people would be what flows from our lips and our posture courageously in our conviction but yet deep in our compassion. We love you. We thank you for the grace that you've shown us through Jesus. It's by grace we have been saved through faith in his name alone and we stand confident only because of him. We stand assured only because of Jesus. We stand forgiven only because of Jesus, restored and healed only because of Jesus. Our hope and our life is found in him. And we thank you for the, the permanent hope that we have that one day death will be swallowed up completely by life. And all we'll see is life. All we'll see is restoration and flourishing of fullness forever. And we bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll sing one last song.